We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled A Relentless Love and it comes from Hosea 2 and 3. Before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, Christian Radio is not free, and we need people like you to help us by supporting us with your tax-deductible gift. By making a charitable contribution to Word Talking, you're helping spread the good news of Jesus to all those that are listening in the area that we broadcast and on the Internet that follow us. So won't you help us? And you can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your credit card information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, last week we started our study in the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea is an Old Testament prophet and a member of what we call the Minor Prophets. The books in the Bible from Hosea to Malachi make up the Minor Prophets. Now, they're called Minor Prophets because of the size of the books. You know, when you compare them to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that have 50-plus chapters, these are much smaller. As we saw last week, God asked Hosea to do something that he didn't ask anyone else in the Bible to do. I pointed out that God told Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. He obeyed God, and he went and married Gomer, who gave him three children, two boys and one girl. Now, the first was his son that he fathered, and then the next girl and the boy, though, were born out of the prostitution with other men. So God is using Hosea's relationship with Gomer as a picture of Israel, how he desperately loves them, but how they've turned their back on him and they've forsaken him. And because of the prosperous times, Israel has become lazy and they've turned their ways back to the world and they've forsaken God. They're taking credit for all the good things that are happening right now with no war and and with all the prosperity. And they have forsaken God and they've left God and they've gone back to local idols. The theme of this book is God's relentless love for his people. And he's willing to show tough love to Israel so that they will turn back to him. And God sends Hosea as the last chance prophet that he sends to him. He sends him to the northern kingdom of Israel. And if you remember, I told you last week about 200 years before this time, Israel split in two. You had the lower two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, that were called the southern kingdom, or Judah. And then you had the other ten tribes that stayed with the northern kingdom, or Israel. And Jeroboam was, was the first king of the northern kingdom, and he actually caused this split by not listening to Solomon's advisors. He listened to his own people who told him to tax more and get more from the people, which caused a revolt. He was so upset over the split, he set up his own temple in this in Dan, and he commanded that those ten tribes would worship in his temple instead of going to Judea and worship in the temple of God. He set up his own alternative religion. You know, it was similar to Judaism, but it was displeasing to God because it was no longer uh, worshiping God, but it was worshiping his gods. Now, Jeroboam, too, is the current king now, and Israel's in the middle of this great prosperity era that they're in. 
During this time, there weren't many enemies, so they weren't being attacked, so they didn't have to battle. So they become lazy, which leads into that moral corruption that we talked about last week. Israel doesn't believe that this era of prosperity is going to end, but God is warning them, and he sent Hosea to try to turn them back. And today, we see through Hosea and Gomer how God is painting the picture of his tough love toward Israel and trying to turn their stiff necks back to him. So we have a lot to cover, so let's jump in. Look at Hosea 2, verse 1 with me. I'm reading from the ESV. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them out of her act of shamefulness. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her with my thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them and she shall seek them but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. So to set the context, now Gomer and Hosea have been married. They've had three children, as I said earlier. And during this time, a lot of commentators say that she had gotten out of prostitution and that they were, she was faithful to him. But over time, she went back to it because we saw that last week that she had two children that he didn't father or through the writing of Hosea, he doesn't show ownership of those two children. Now here in chapter 2, she just full out leaves Hosea and she chases after these lovers who she thinks are going to give her this wonderful life. And we see that because she says not only are they going to give her bread and water, but they're going to give her wool and flax and oil and drink. And those are all things of luxury. Those are things that the rich had that most people didn't have. So she's going after these lovers who can give her a life she feels like she needs or she wants or she had before this marriage. And just like Hosea and Gomer, Israel was the same way. See, God had given them so much. You know, they're chasing after that wonderful life. But they're doing it the wrong way. They're not giving God credit. They're chasing after Baal. They're chasing after the local idols that they're made with their hands. And that is just like they've left God, just like Gomer now has left Hosea. What's so amazing, though, is that we serve a relentless God. He loves us so much. I mean, he could have brought his judgment on. They have created an environment where they have chased after other gods. They've forsaken him so he could bring his judgment on. But that's not what he does. He brings tough love, and we'll see that as we go through the lesson today. But what does he do? He gives them another chance. He gives them one more chance to turn back to him. And that's what is the beauty of this whole book, is that even though we as sinners turn from God, that we separate ourselves from God, we choose sin, that God still loves us, and he gives us so many opportunities to come back to him. In these two chapters today, there are four ways that God shows his relentless love to us. The first one today is that God loves us relentlessly even when we reject his love. God doesn't give up on you. He relentlessly pursues you even when you reject him. 
in today's society, when somebody rejects you, what do we do? We kind of shake the dirt off our feet, as the Bible says, and we go our way. But that's not what God does. He relentlessly pursues you, and he runs after you. Hosea's wife has left him, and now she's pursuing after that good life that she's known as a prostitute before marriage and even during some of this marriage. Yet Hosea loves her, and he's going to show her tough love just like God has shown Israel. Now, this act of her leaving him, it breaks his heart. And you might say, well, he's a man of God, you know, he didn't, but... Now, we see that. I mean, you can read it in the verse, in verse 2. He says, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born. I would think anybody that is listening to my voice over the radio today would agree with me. It is devastating when somebody that you love dearly rejects you. I mean, there's nothing I can think of more devastating than someone rejecting you that you love. And that's what's happened here. Gomer's left him and he's pleading with the children, tell your mother, plead with her, tell her to have mercy and come back to me. So the question we should ask ourselves today is how do we respond when this happens to us? And and God shows us. Conventional wisdom would tell you that you're to just move on. I mean, look at this. She was a prostitute before. Now she's a prostitute again. She's always going to be a prostitute. Maybe there's someone in your life that's a drug addict. Maybe there's an alcoholic. Whatever it is, those that you love that reject you because of their addiction or whatever, how are we supposed to respond? Proverbs says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so does a man return to his sin. But God shows us something different in this chapter right here, that God sends his relentless love after Israel, and he tells Hosea to send your love after Gomer. And that is the picture of Christianity, is that relentless love, those opportunities, even when we don't deserve it, even when we are like Gomer and we go back to our wicked ways, that God still loves us. And that's the message we should understand. There's nothing that can make you too far gone. Don't listen to the lie of the devil who says that you are too far gone. You've done too much. You are too embarrassing. That's not what this shows us right here, that God chases after us even when we reject him. Now look with me at verse 3. Lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born and make her like a wilderness, make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Now, it's normal to respond with anger. And even though it is normal, it's not good to stay that way. But we see right here in verse 3, Hosea's anger. But even though we read his anger, look at what he's willing to go to. I'll make her like a wilderness. And what he's saying here is that I am willing to go to the ultimate end. I'm willing to do everything, exhaust everything to get her to return to me. When you're in that wilderness, you're in that rock bottom. There's nothing there. It's just barren land. And what Hosea is saying here is tell your mother before she gets to that point, come back to me. I still love her. I want her back. Sadly today, if you have loved ones that are rejecting God, that have rejected you, that are have addictions or whatever, you've seen this. You've seen this played out, and you've seen them get to the point of that wilderness, but a lot of times we can't take it. 
We can't show the tough love until we don't let them get there. We, we jump in before we should, and we try to help them out. And actually, we just enable that. And that's the hard part, is letting someone get to that wilderness, to that point of isolation where there's nobody, nothing, for them to wake up and turn their stiff neck. Look at verse 4. He says, upon her children, I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. Now, he's talking about the two children that were born out of wedlock. He's saying, not only am I putting my, your mother out, but I'm not taking care of those two children either. Then he continues on in verse 5, for their mother has played the whore. She who has conceived them has acted shamefully. So first he's talked about the wilderness, and now he talks about being shameful. One of the things that happens a lot is that we don't want people to see the shameful acts of those that we love, so we cover for them. The one of the things that turn people back, that gets them into that wilderness, is for their shameful acts to be exposed. But yet, we are worried about our image, and because we love them, we are worried about their image, even though they don't, they don't see it, and so we try to cover for them. And a part of that tough love is allowing those shameful acts to be exposed. And that's what Hosea says right here. For she has acted shamefully. Then he writes about her state of mind. He, he says in the end of verse 5 and end of verse 6, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water. And those are the basic necessities but also my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. And those are the luxuries. The grass is always greener. And the, again, those that we love, that we are trying to turn back, those that we want to, that have rejected Christ or rejected us, a lot of times we try to get them to see, but they are chasing after greener grass or what they think is greener, something that is going to provide them something they think is better. I think about an adulterous affair. A lot of times, People will go to that person and say, hey, do you understand what you're giving up your wife, your kids, or you're giving up your husband and your kids over an act of adultery? Yet they won't listen, and they go deeper and deeper into it, and they tear up a marriage, and they tear up a family because they are chasing after greener grass, or so they think. The other thing we see here is that Hosea has been providing all this stuff for her, but she wants more. People that are caught in addictions, people that are caught in affairs, they never know satisfaction. That's what led them down further and further. They keep going and going. They need more and more. So what we see right here from Goma is a selfishness that can't be satisfied. So now let's see how Hosea deals with this shameful act and this selfish desire. I think it's brilliant how he handles this. So look with me at verse 6. Therefore, I will hedge up her with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. And this is where this, we see our second point. The first thing we saw was that God relentlessly loves us, even when we reject him. And now God relentlessly loves us, so he will redirect our path. And when we see that, he says, I am going to hedge up her path with thorns. So no one likes to go through thorns. I think about a time I went hunting and I had on, I thought the proper clothes and we were trying to jump deer out of a thicket, which is really just a bunch of briars and thorns. And as I went there, it grabbed hold of those clothes and it ripped them and it tore. If I hadn't had on the clothes I had on, it would have grabbed my skin. It would have cut me all up. Again, nobody wants to go through a path of thorns. And so what Hosea is saying here, I'm going to block her path. The way that she likes to go, I'm going to make painful and hard. And, and God does the same thing to us. 
He puts things in our path. He puts things in our way to make us have to go off our comfort route and try to wake us up to see that this is not the right way. Those are the consequences that we run into when we make the decisions we make to go down that path. One of the things we can see right here that Hosea understands that you cannot make someone come back from rejection. You cannot bring them back. They have to make that decision on their own. They have to decide to turn. We think about the prodigal son, right? He took his money. He went to that far country. And guess what it says in the Bible? It said he came to his senses. He had to make that decision to come back to his dad. Even my dad's servants have it better than I have it right now. He came to a sense as he made that decision. And Hosea understands this principle that you cannot make somebody come back. They have to make that decision on their own. So what we see here is that he builds a hedge of thorns and he builds a wall against her path. How do we do that today? Well, we quit enabling them. We quit providing for them. We let them get to that point of the wilderness, just like the prodigal son, and let them come to their senses. I'll give you an example of this, of enabling and not making it tough on them. I had a daughter that was 25. You know, again, because she's my daughter, I didn't want to give the tough love and make her get out. And so she was working part time and at least she was working, but she didn't have insurance. She wasn't paying for her car. So I went and talked to a couple of people about the situation. And I remember one of them asked me the question, well, how old is your daughter? I said, well, she's 25. Okay. Does she live at home? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, does she pay for a car? And I'm like, no. What about her cell phone? I'm like, no. So he said, let me get this right. She lives at home. She doesn't pay any rent. She has a phone, and you pay that bill. She works part-time. You want her to work full-time. You want her to get out of her home. Who's paying for all this? You are. You're the problem. You're the one that's an enabler to live the life that she lives. And so sometimes we have to make the path hard, yet we don't want to do it because we love that person. And that's what we see right here from Hosea. He's saying that I'm going to make it hard for them to go down the path, the shortcuts in life that they want to take that you're giving them. Look at verse 7. So she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them. And that's because Hosea has created this hedge, this wall of thorns that make it hard for her to go down that path, make those decisions hard for her. And we have to do the same thing in our own lives. And that's why God sometimes has to let us live and pull the mercy back, as we talked about last week. Let us feel the consequences of our decision. Now, sometimes because we love those people, we don't want them to do that. We're worried about the shamefulness. We're worried that somebody will see and some of that shamefulness will reflect on us as parents or as family members. But we have to let them get out there. We have to let them get to the wilderness. And look at her response at the end of verse 7. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. So it, the scripture even shows us that this tough love works. Now it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard, but tough love works. And verses 8 through 13 really show us that it's not our stuff, but it was God. Look at verse 9, for example. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. See, again, God gave us all this, and we don't understand it, but we've enabled or we've taken credit for it. 
Now, I'm about out of time, and I've still got two more points, and I want to get to chapter three. And if I went verse by verse, you would, I'd never get there till you know, two hours later. So we're going to jump down to verse 14, though. I want you to see the third thing is, in God's relentless pursuit, he still responds in tenderness. Look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of anchor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and at that time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And so what we see here is that when we get to that point, that wilderness, and that wilderness isn't a true wilderness, but do you realize you can be in a wilderness and be surrounded by people? It's an emotional wilderness. It's a uh, a dryness. It's like no one exists. No one is there, even though people surround us. And that's where he's now gotten Gomer. She's at that wilderness. But look how God responds to her. And it's a beautiful response. See, a lot of people have the wrong image of God. They, they hear about this angry God. I messed up. So now he's like an ant bull and he's going to crush me like an ant on a sidewalk. But that's not what he says. He says, and I will speak tenderly to her. When she's in that wilderness, when she's finally to the point where she's willing to come to her senses and go back, that's when God speaks tenderly. That's when God deals with us out of love. Sometimes he has to get us through the pain and the suffering to wake us up. And it's not because he's angry per se at us, but it's the only way to wake us up and to make us turn our neck back to him. Do you know why most of the people won't return to God? It's because they're afraid of his judgment. They think God's going to judge him. Why do they think that? Because we deserve it. We're harder on ourselves than God is with his mercy. One of the hardest things to overcome when you talk to counselors is for people to forgive themselves for what they've done when they realize it. But God forgives us and he speaks to us tenderly in that wilderness. There's a great story in the Bible. It's about Elijah and he says, Today you will decide. You will choose to serve Baal or you will choose to serve the God of Israel. And so he lets the the prophets of Baal go out there and they try to do their thing and get called down fire from heaven. They can't. He calls on God. God sends down the fire, burns up even with water and everything. It even burns 400 people. He shows the power of God. And yet the next day out of a rumor, a woman says that I'm going to kill him before the end of the day. And he runs like a scared chicken. He runs and runs and runs to get away from Jezebel till finally he comes to a cliff. And there, there's this huge storm. There's fire, there's lightning, there's earthquakes. And when it's all said and done, God speaks to him in a small voice and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? The point I'm trying to make through this story is here is a man of God that did a, a miraculous act by raining fire down from God. Yet he ran from a woman, and instead of God saying, dude, what's wrong with you? Even a man of God, God could have judged him for his fear after what he should have known. But he doesn't. He says, what are you doing here? He spoke to him tenderly. And that just gives me so much confidence to know, no matter what I do, not that I would willfully go out and do anything wrong, but if I do, that God will meet me and he will speak to me tenderly. Just like right here, he tells Hosea, inspires Hosea to write, bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And that's what God's at. God's at that wilderness. He's waiting on you. 
because he knows you're not going to wake up till you get to that point, but he's there waiting on you so that he can speak tenderly and show you his love. I'd love to tell you that Goma returns to Hosea, but sadly, that's not what happens. We don't know for sure, but she sells herself into some type of slavery. And we know that by looking at chapter 3. So look what Hosea writes in chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechet of barley. So for 15 shekels of silver and some grain, he buys his wife back. She had a wonderful life with Hosea. It says that he provided her with the oil and for the bread and for water. He had provided for her. He had given all that he had for her. Yet she saw the greener grass. She saw the far land like the prodigal son, and she chased after that. She wanted her lifestyle of party, and she wanted her lifestyle of free love. We see where it takes her. It takes her deeper than she wanted to go. I assure you, when she chased after the, the men and her lover, she never thought that she would wind up as a slave. Yet for 15 shekels of silver and a basket of hay, he buys her back. Now, if you'll go back and look at verse 2 where it says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. That word bought is the same word in the Hebrew as redemption or to buy back. And that's what happened here. He paid the debt that Gomer had so that no longer did they have a hold on them. And that is the beautiful picture of Christ. He came and he paid the debt for you and I. He paid in full. Sin no longer has a hold on us. If we will just believe in what he did and we will accept it and we'll make him Lord of our life, he has paid in full. He has redeemed us. He's bought us. And because of that, We now have a way to overcome the sin chasm that separates us from God. Even though we are unholy, and God cannot look at unholy, through His righteousness, through His blood, we become white as snow, and we now can cross the chasm through the cross. And this is the fourth way that shows God's relentless love for us, is that He redeems us. Actually, that He has redeemed us. It's already done. It's just a matter of us to understand, to see this beautiful picture of redemption right here in the Old Testament, a foreshadowing of Jesus coming and what the work he's going to do on the cross, the redemption story right here unfolding right in front of us. What a beautiful picture. Now look how the third chapter finishes. Look with me at verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without a sacrifice or pillar, without an ephob or a household god. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so after we accept that redemption, all that God asks is, is that we be faithful to him. And that's what Hosea says to Gomer, that you would come and dwell as mine for many days. He's asking her to be faithful. And we also see that for Israel. He also says, come and be faithful. Come back to me. Let me be everything that you need. Let me be the source of your salvation. Come to me and I will give you all that you need. So let me close with this final thought. God relentlessly loves you today. There's nothing that you can do to make God not love you. 
There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Think about that. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That means you're never too far gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. As long as the devil is whispering in your ear telling you that you can't be saved, then there's an opportunity for you to be saved. He's telling you a lie because he's the father of lies. Today, God loves you relentlessly. See, it doesn't matter where you are today, whether God is knocking on your heart and talking to you about a single sin that you've allowed to slowly get into your life. Maybe you're someone that's out in the wilderness right now. Or maybe you're someone that's just never returned to God, that's never even understood or says, I don't want anything with the church. It doesn't matter where you're at. God loves you and he relentlessly pursues you. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I thank you for our time together. I thank you for this story of Hosea. I thank you for inspiring him to go and speak to Israel. I thank you for telling him what turn heads that you told him to go marry a prostitute, yet he obeyed you and the picture that you let that story paint out. Lord, the foreshadowing of Christ coming and dying for us. Right now, Lord, I pray for the one that you're knocking on the heart and you're saying, hey, wake up. You don't have to go to the wilderness. If you'll just turn now, it's not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass isn't greener. Lord, I pray for the one that has caught the desire in their eye that the faraway land, like the prodigal son, is more attractive. And there's no satisfaction until they get there, until they learn the story, till they learn the school of hard knocks. Lord, I pray for them right now that, Lord, they would wake up. But I know that there are those that have to go to that point. They have to go to that wilderness. But, Lord, I, I just thank you for your tenderness that instead of being there to tell you, I told you so, you're there to love us back, to say, hey, what are you doing here? Just come back to me. Turn, and I'll help you out of this way. Lord, and those that do turn, Lord, I thank you that you will supply all that we need. And all you ask is that we be faithful to you and that we will dwell with you for many days for the rest of our life. That we will call you Lord. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give us. We're going to give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.